Welcome back to The Marketing Moment. This is episode two. I am David Berry, founder of DB and Partners. We produce this podcast now on a weekly basis. So if you heard our first episode, this is the second. Uh, it's funny how those things work in sequence. You'll, you'll have a, a lot of good times with my obvious renderings and, and pointing out of things. So happy to introduce also on the microphone, Nicole Williams, who is our director of digital media. And also joining you for the first time, but we'll be with you here moving forward is Julia Reynolds, who is our digital specialist. And we have an awesome episode for you today. If obviously you have not tuned in before, this is the first time hearing from us. We are an e-commerce agency focused on the brain and body. So if you learn it, eat it, or wear it, we help you sell it. So as you can imagine, the types of themes and things that we're going to cover on our podcast are related to exactly those types of uh, subject matter. So Today, we're going to be diving into influencer marketing, but before we get into the, the main entree of our episode, we're going to kick off with the Digital Dash, which is our top news stories in digital marketing for this week. So I'm going to hand the keys to Nicole to tell you a little bit about some headlines we've pulled for you. Yes. So headline number one, Reddit launches in-house creative agency, Carmelab. So with Karma Lab, yes, it will be very similar to what Facebook Ads Manager offers. Um, however, this quote is from Reddit directly in which it will be an offering that includes social listening and trends reports, step-by-step -step community management, creative workshops, bespoke 360-degree campaign development, and more. Karma Lab is a full-service creative strategy agency delivering campaigns that resonate with and add value to Reddit users while driving meaningful results. So with all that being said, I think something that we can dive right into is, David, your thoughts on how this will impact digital advertising and kind of the social landscape right now. So it's interesting. So help me, actually help me understand a little bit. So they, is this an agency for, for Reddit advertisers in particular, or is this an agency that Reddit is going to go outside and use on, on multiple different uh, channels? So it sounds like it might be a programmatic offering of sorts, gotcha. but it will be in-house. So if advertisers want to strategize or leverage Reddit ad products, they would go directly to Karma Lab to do this. Sure. Um, again, it's very similar to kind of the account manager direct service one would receive with Facebook advertising. It's interesting. I mean, we'll put it this way. I think those who love Reddit are obsessed with it. If you could talk about the people who are fanatics about any one social channel, I think you could argue pound for pound people love Reddit more than they love any other channel if they love it. So, yes. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. But like there, it's just a whole sub world of people who are, who are in there talking about their subreddits. Like they're just places that they actually live. And uh, yeah. And, and I think it's always super amusing, but you know, I think you're, you're seeing more of this is the in-housing of agencies. And it's ironic supposedly uh, because of the fact that we ourselves are an, are an agency. So we in certain times have, have dealt with this where, clients are starting to take further things in-house, but it's also the, the channels themselves like Facebook providing more hands-on service to advertisers is they know that there's a need for these services. They know that people are looking for additional support and expertise. Who better than somebody who's backed by a very successful, you know, digital slash social channel slash blog site, whatever you want to call Reddit, and then them to sort of say, we know what's cool, we know what sticks, and we know what gets people to pay attention. So I you know, obviously, I think it, it could bode really well for, for clients, particularly those who have an interest in getting onto Reddit mm -hmm. and making a, a name for themselves. And, and what do we know about Reddit, right? We talked about the different niches that are within the category uh, on that site, but people spend a lot of time on there. Like, you know, Facebook, you might get someone to scroll thumbs for, you know, six minutes and then they're out. Reddit, they'll camp out for a night, <laughs> never go to bed, totally uh, just getting lost in the weeds. So 
you know, I, I would be interested in learning more. It, the, the move doesn't surprise me. There's a lot of smart people at Reddit and their ability to proliferate what they've used on that channel for any number of other purposes is perhaps an obvious one. They have credibility. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they become a, a strong player. For sure. And I think that Facebook groups uh, a couple of years ago, the reason why they kind of brought that out of the woodwork was to compete with Reddit essentially, right? Yeah. So I definitely think it will be a difference in the landscape to that respect. So jumping into headline two, the rollout of shoppable inventory. So this one is super interesting. Um, earlier in May, Amazon announced beta testing of a new feature that would allow users to make a purchase directly from their IMDb TV using their Alexa or Fire TV remote while watching an ad. So something that Julia and I actually discussed with Amazon kind of taking over literally everything. Um, when you pause a TV show right now, you can actually see all of the actors that are in a particular scene. And basically with the buyout of IMDb from Amazon within the last few years or so, they're able to basically like pull in and aggregate all of that data on cast members, the director, et cetera, who the actors are, and they display it right on your Fire TV. So super cool feature. So taking that idea in mind, basically this is the same premise. It's just applying like an Instagram shoppable post to what you're watching on your Fire TV, which is super cool. Um, so NBC Universal and Hulu are also kind of looking into this, it seems like, and they're trying to strategize ways in which they can actually compete with it. Uh, so David, tell us your thoughts on this. Wow. It, this doesn't surprise me. I mean, the ability for things to be shoppable has been, and it's funny, right? We just talked about Facebook adopting something from Reddit. Yeah. And now we're going to be talking about, um, Amazon adopting something from Instagram and, and other channels too. But, you know, obviously like the shoppable posts became a really big deal because, Instagram was this place where everyone was going to get inspired once upon a time by everything in a Hefe filter. But the shoppable Instagram posts obviously was a great way to make the things that you already like easier to buy. It's the same thing that is happening here. And, and it's kind of tying the influencer world to, to the retail world in a very literal way. So rather than like having to go to a social channel, you're watching the main place where you're seeing the message, uh, probably, you know, namely your, your television device, because uh, it's not true TV. And, and immediately saying like, wow, Daenerys is wearing something you know, really cool from the fall catalog in, in Game of Thrones. I'd love to put that on. And <laughs> <laughs> terrible example. Uh, but you have the opportunity to do that. So I think this immersive commerce or immersive shopping, whatever, you know, buzzword, crappy word that people are going to come up with to sort of describe this is really as simple as what Amazon's trying to do here. It is make it as easy as possible for people to access the items that they want and, and remove any friction between those things. Whereas previously on Amazon, you would have had to have paused the frame, gone into Google or gone, gone into Amazon, typed in the thing, tried to describe it, see where it shows up, you know, oh, what was Daenerys wearing on this week's episode? Like that appears to be the example that I've landed on and, and trying to go find that product for yourself. So I think, I think this is great for, for everybody. Advertisers are going to love this because it's instant gratification. And for the same reason that shoppers will, they won't interact with it if they don't want to buy, you know, an item that's, that's in it. So this is, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it's, I guess it's like a hybrid of discovery advertising and, and search-based advertising, which is you discovered it because it showed up on your screen and you don't even really have to search for it because it was given to you if you're interested. So I, I think this is a, a great mix and I suspect it'll be really valuable. Um, and it's also going to change partnership deals in terms of, you know, products placements and things like that. For sure. yeah. Right. So there's going to be, you know, huge affiliate programs going on. Brands are going to want to spend a lot more money now 
trying to get their products in because once upon a time it was like, Hey, you get awareness and you know, your, your Walmart bag shows up in screen. Well, now they can buy whatever it is, you know, literally on the screen in real time. And once again, Amazon's at the front of the line, but this is going to happen with NBC uh, and the Peacock network and everything else um, as well. And so I think it's uh, I think it's a good thing. Definitely. Uh, our last headline to wrap up this segment will be Twitter Blue subscription service. So another interesting spin here. Twitter is working on a $3 a month subscription service called Twitter Blue. Why? The features would include undoing tweets, which is essentially the same as undoing an email, a charge to use TweetDeck, which is obviously their scheduler for those of us in this field, and the ability to super follow users for users for a small fee in exchange for exclusive content. So correct me if I'm wrong, Julia, but does that mean that these users would be paying a fee in exchange for getting their ads out there? Well, I think it would be something similar to how Patreon works, where you can pay to get exclusive content. So it would be exclusive tweets or exclusive things that that other users are tweeting. Right. That makes sense. Perfect. You were you were kinder. I was actually going to say OnlyFans. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I, Patreon is the, the more savory version of that, but yeah, I think, you know, kudos to Twitter because someone had to be first on this. The fact that, and and what I really like about it is not necessarily the, the Patreon only fans hybrid, although I suppose there's value to it for a lot of different kinds of users, but it's the Twitter is jumping ahead and finding a way to monetize their users directly instead of selling their data to get the money. Everybody knows that this third party data stuff is, is fading and falling away and Twitter sort of jumping in line and saying, Let's test it out. Let's like if we can get three bucks a month out of somebody, thirty-six dollars a year, instead of having to sell their data directly. You know, could we have a real profitable, uh, you know, line here where users get a, an ad-free? I don't know if this will be an ad-free experience, but in theory, they could make it an ad-free experience um, as an option. I suppose you could pay a premium for that, and I suspect some people might. But I expect, you know, it's funny the theme here of all of the headlines, right? Is we know other people are going to follow this trend, or this trend is a copy of somebody else. So Twitter's is partly copied from Patreon and OnlyFans. And, but I, I think they're really the first ones jumping in line, getting people to pay uh, for, for a unique experience in the channel and potentially at the expense of not having their data sold. So uh, I don't know how well it'll work. Twitter is, is a much more transient you know, channel and in terms of you know, passive behavior and things like that. So you've got this hybrid model of, of those two things. And I, I suspect other channels are gonna follow suit it's been floated for a really long time. Even when, you know, your mom was posting on Facebook saying, Oh, they're going to make you pay $10 a month for Facebook starting January one, or they're going to steal all your pictures. Um, eventually something like that was probably going to come true. And, and now this is an opportunity to see if it can be profitable. And if the users get a better experience, if they don't, then it's not worth it. But I am interested to see how this works out. Definitely quite the color commentary. Um, but just to add to your point, the subscription would come with the ability to view tweets ad-free, which is interesting. Oh, it would. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Then there yeah. you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, so kind of jumping into our topic of the week, which is influencer marketing. I feel like we need a drum roll or something. Right? Oh, I know. <laughs> we think, yeah, some sounds in here. We'll work on that next week. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so let's just kick off here. One, how effective is it? Two, is it even sustainable three years from now? The landscape is changing a lot. Three, is it all bullshit? Four, how do we think it will evolve? Uh, David, as always, I'm going to let you kick off on this one. We've got a lot of commentary on this side. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, and I am, I, I, as much as I like the sound of my own voice some of the time, I am really interested in, in hearing your guys' thoughts on this. Um, you know, I think influencer marketing 
is is given a, a bad name for for a lot of reasons and it also is because i think people don't have the right impression of influencer marketing when when they hear the term they immediately think of forgive me for generalizing a 19 to 21 year old girl in a bikini somewhere holding a protein powder supplement bag and the next day talking about you know something else that that she never actually uses never actually you know consistently works with that's not influence that's you know that's a transaction um, in reality, influence has always been the whole purpose of advertising in the first place. If you can be compelled by a, a brand or somebody else to believe in what it is that a brand is selling or what it is that a brand is saying, that is the power of advertising in general. The reason it is bullshit in the eyes of so many people is because what they're adopting as an influencer strategy or an affiliate strategy is bullshit. They're saying, oh, well, so-and-so's got you know, 50,000 followers, 200,000 followers. I'm going to pay them X amount of dollars to go talk about this thing that they probably don't actually use, care about, or ever want to look at again, but they're just doing it for the money. Uh, you know, people can smell bullsh bullshit. So they know from a mile away if that relationship is real to name drop a client of ours and, and something that's being done well. Sonia Dakar is a client of ours, a cosmetics and skincare brand based out of LA. They have taken pains to build a very cohesive and authentic relationship with their influencers to the point where if, if one of the influencers is featured in the content, they know through time, you know, passing for years at, at a time that these individuals not only visit the Sonia Dakar clinic on Rodeo drive, but that they use their products. It's natural to them. They have an involvement in the selection of the products they use and even in helping them craft other products that might come about in the future. And it's real and it works. We put that content in our ads and not just through an affiliate type of model, but through content side by side with the things that the brand is creating, if it's real and it's authentic, people know it, they smell it, they sniff it out over time. And that's how you build legions of followers. So I do think real influencer marketing is sustainable, but that is, those are collaborations. These are not transactions. This is not an affiliate model. I do think there are places for affiliates um, as a, you know, perhaps a separate conversation, but if you're just talking about, Oh, we gave, you know, three people who had a bunch of followers, you know, 50 bucks <laughs> over the course of three weeks and we didn't sell anything. Well, yeah, no shit. Cause it's not real and everybody knows it. Uh, but I've heard my voice enough. I'd love to get your guys' take. I do think David, you have a lot of great points, but I think the key word to take away is actually long-term. So having yeah. those long-term authentic strategies is what kind of makes it sustainable. If it really is, I think that Something else we're actually going to talk about in our list here um, is really the difference between how effective influencers are, depending on what tier they could be, whether it is nano, micro, or obviously, like, I don't even know what it'd be called, like macro, like the ultimate influencer, if you have more than macro. 1 million followers. Oh, let's call like, it mega. Let's mega, call it yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a mega influencer. Um, and honestly, the more followers someone has, there's a great point brought up here where they actually have less converting power, right? Because yeah. their pockets of people, like it's no longer like a niche area anymore or niche. I don't know. Regardless. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whatever. Um, we'll get into semantics later, but yes, I feel like they do have less converting power. Um, they do have very diverse demographics. And again, how authentic is it? How can you always consistently appeal to so many people at all times. Like you need to have something, like you need to have a competitive edge. So that is very important, um, but we are kind of skipping around a little bit. We will define kind of the different levels and which is most effective um, depending on what 
basically a campaign objective would be. But I think something that we should jump back into is what industries truly benefit the most from influencers. Obviously, skincare is a great example. Uh, A lot of women are likely to follow influencers. Um, But in terms of, is it, I don't know, fitness? Is it apparel? Is it skincare? Is it just D2C brands in general? Like who really has the ability to benefit from an influencer relationship? And conversely, what industry like really doesn't? I mean, there's so many things to kind of say about this. Yeah, it's it's a good question because I think inf- let's let me just use the word influence. I think influence is valuable in any industry, and I hate answers that are every or none because yeah. I know there tends <laughs> to be some some dishonesty in there. But I, influence in general is is how we navigate our lives. Uh, you know, I have somebody who's going to be redoing some gardening for us, right? They are hired. We, we hired them because of influence. We knew a peer who had a good experience, you know, with them in our in our neighborhood. And so that influenced our decision to, you know, to interact with them. So I think all industries can use influence. Now, in terms of influencer marketing, let's use ourselves as an example, as a, as a, you know, an e-commerce agency. I don't think it would really work for us in the way that most people think of when you talk about like an influencer. So let's say Julia, for example, was, was not an employee of ours, uh, but she instead was a hired influencer for a, you know, a certain amount of money over time. And Julia was just, you know, randomly posting content across their social media channels about, you know, how great we are at geo-targeting or something or, or crafting, you know, really cool integrated e-commerce strategies. I don't think it would land the same way because it's not how people arrive at their decision to choose an agency. Um, so as an example, so influence still matters and having a peer network of those who understand and value your work and finding a way to set them on fire for you as ambassadors, so to speak, could work but I don't see it as a true social media, you know, type of play, but really, you know, I think you, you talked about skincare. I agree. Anything that's very visually driven, or we talked about the brain and the body sides of our business, the body side of the business, if you can wear it, eat it, um, you know, apply it, whatever you want to call it. Those I think are, are categories that are all great for consumable products or are a natural fit for, for influencers. So you talk about skincare, we talk about retail and e-com brands. You know, if I'm wearing a t-shirt or, you know, if I did my hair a certain way, I can't, uh, but with certain products or something like that, those things I think show really well. D to C brands are, are really powerful. Um, but I'd be interested in talking to an actual influencer who we have on our, our chat here, Julia, the plant influencer. Yes, if you... <laughs> the plant influencer. Yeah. The plant influencer. Yeah. What are, I mean, what are your thoughts? I, I obviously we're talking about some that work. I, none, there's nothing that immediately comes to mind that wouldn't where influence doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know in a literal sense, if you, if you have some thoughts on that. Industries where you might not think that influencers work and they might not work in the traditional sense of like, let me pose holding this product and, you know, hashtag ad in the caption. But I think there are some unique ways that you can use influencers in yeah. certain industries. Hot I mean, takes. I can, I can talk about, interestingly enough, so my, my wife is expecting our, our first child and it's really exciting. There are a whole bunch of like baby nurses and stuff on Instagram who um, you know, have a lot of experience with a lot of the things that first time moms and, and dads have no idea about. And they have built you know, entire content catalogs and classes and courses, some of which have, you know, my wife has purchased through, you know, mom influencers and stuff like that, or, you know, or baby nurses and things like that too. So 
Um, maybe that's not an example that would surprise people or whatever, but I, I do agree that there's, there's really very few categories that you can't think of the value of influence. And if there is somebody who can be influential in that space, then there has to be a way for them to communicate through social and digital channels that it, that it is effective. So maybe I'm going to disagree with myself. I, I will say for DBM partners, uh, you know, as a, as an agency, I don't think an influencer a relationship would necessarily work for us. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe there are some people out there who, you know, are somewhere high above in the career who are known as experts to talk about marketing and advertising, uh, philosophically and at a high level. But I imagine, you know, if somebody like, um, Man, I'm trying to think Scott Galloway, who I think is, you know, like a, a well-known marketing uh, guru, NY, NYU professor who's been on Bill Maher several times and stuff. He's a known marketing lead, uh, leader in voice. If he had said all these things that I'm talking about, DB and Partners is a great, you know, agency who embodies these values, then the power of influence would work there. So, um, so yeah, I think the real roundabout answer to Nicole's original question is, if it's done well, if it's done authentically and consistently over time, which I know is one of the overarching themes, then influence is the most time-tested success method in all of advertising. It's anybody who doesn't see that is not approaching it the right way. All right. I do agree with all of this. Uh, again, colorful commentary as always. So the last question kind of to wrap this up is which influencers are more popular and slash or making the most money? Instagram or TikTok, because landscape is changing so much. I'm going to take a stab at this and say, I still think it's Instagram. Instagram has a proven path to actually driving revenue for brands. And that's been established over several years. TikTok is, it can't be far behind. And I imagine that brands are throwing a lot of money at some of these individuals because they're, they're growing so rapidly. TikTok is obviously a channel that is a force to be reckoned with. Gen Z has already surpassed usage of TikTok uh, past Instagram. They use that channel more than they use Instagram already. So there's there's no question where it's headed, but I think the question that TikTok still has uh, in general, even with its ad platform, is is that attention profitable? I'm sure the answer is yes, um, but in terms of the right methods and the right ways to do it, I think that part is still in question a little bit. So my answer today is Instagram. My answer tomorrow is probably TikTok. Um, but I think they've got some work to do to figure out the model. I will say, <laughs> hand up. <laughs> hand up. Uh, <laughs> I will say from a brand awareness standpoint, it's definitely TikTok. Uh, from a buying power standpoint, it's going to be Instagram. And just kind of bring it back to like common sense right now, who really has a credit card? Like a child that's on TikTok and they're like 12 to 15. What are they going to do? Like stop what they're doing and then ask their mom and dad for like their credit card or like money to buy something. Like you do have like that real life kind of like hiccup or that, barrier that's a path to purchase right mm -hmm. so i think with instagram it's more direct things are already built in especially with new shoppable posts and instagram shops in general i definitely think again buying power it's just really instagram and you can have those bottom line results instantly delivered to you yep. um so i guess i'll let julia kind of chime in with her gen z thoughts on that since she is a big tiktoker for us yeah, oh yes she is. yeah i i'm gonna have to Agree on the most part with you, Nicole, but I do think that the 12 to 15 year olds do have the buying power. I There is the barrier, obviously, but I think if you get a 15 year old hooked on a very specific and expensive Starbucks drink, the immediate reaction to everybody, we're going to Starbucks on dad's credit card and we're buying, everybody's trying this drink, we're going back tomorrow. I think 
the the maybe not 12 but definitely the 15 to 18 the buying power i think is there especially on tiktok a lot of the comments i see on viral videos is i the way i ran to Etsy, what is it etsy the way i ran to etsy for this the way i ran it's like obviously they're not running but you know what i'm right internet running <laughs> i got you i got you. i see what you're doing what i think the only problem is is in particular for small businesses who use this kind of like influencer leverage is if the TikTok blows up and they can't match that demand, it's kind of gone. It's you missed your chance. You missed your opportunity. TikTok doesn't have a great way of following someone and consistently seeing their posts. And especially for small businesses, if they're not posting every single day, multiple TikToks a day, you're kind of lost, lost in the sauce, if you will, lost in the for you page, you missed your opportunity. So it does have a huge, you know, platform to leverage, but it doesn't always work out if you don't do it right. Sure. And it sounds like consistency is a key, you know, right? Like one of the things we've talked about and, and we'll tell each of you who's listening very transparently, this podcast and this video is not meant to be an instant ROI type of thing, right? But it is our hope that over time, this is going to serve as a platform to have people tuning in to maybe at first see what it's about learn a couple things about topics that they care about as professionals and over time establish that credibility that, wow, these guys are consistent. They're, you know, always churning out uh, good content, whether it's for me one week or not the next. Um, I know that they're reliable and accountable and that's that top of mind awareness that is going to, you know, our mission is to make the DBN partner's name known to a general public over time who is probably not thinking about us today. And I think, you know, that's one of the overarching themes. And Julie, I think your point is well taken. The brands that are going to really uh, continue to succeed on TikTok are the ones who will be there consistently. And that's probably also true for, for the influencer relationships that, that they develop uh, over time too. And that about wraps up our episode. But before we close out, uh, I will, yes, I will segue into the marketing module for today. Uh, Hidden Valley Ranch sold thousands of their ranch powder packets after TikTok went viral. The user showed how you can pour the powdered ranch into the pickle jar, leaving it in the fridge overnight and get ranch flavored pickles the next day. TikToks are now being made as people try the hack and taste it for themselves. So mazel, hats off to Hidden Valley Ranch. <laughs> for the marketing malfunction for today, we're going to tie it back into our topic of today's program, which was influencer marketing. Uh, basically, we have a whole bunch of malfunctions, but the most recent being um, Courtney Shields, who is a very famous fashion influencer ranks over 1 million followers on Instagram. Uh, she had a faux pas with an Abercrombie collaboration this past week in which there was a lot of damage control because she was caught and called out for filtering her photos um, uh -oh. and changing, yeah, changing her sizes, um, Photoshopping her legs to be thinner than they actually are compared to Abercrombie's real posts. A uh, whole bunch of nasty stuff came out this past week and we really don't know how that contract will end up, so. These are things happening in the influencer world. Once you get down, you dig dirty in it. It's kind of scary. Uh, so we will stay out of that. And thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next week on episode three. Thanks again. Bye, guys.